Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your Week in IndyCar guest show. Who is our guest? He's the man that lives in our heart. He's the man from Le Mans. He is the French fry to my hamburger, Sebastian Bourdais. How are you, my brother? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. You? Yeah. Hey, living the life. Uh, just had some oatmeal for breakfast at about 12.45 in the afternoon. Uh, I've got our cat Rocky sitting on top of my scanner, staring out the window. Uh, his sister Rosie is staring out the window about... She's actually socially distanced. Good on them. Probably looking at birds or rodents or whatever they wish they could jump from the fifth floor down to eat. Um, it's a pretty normal day in the Pruitt household. Uh, what about the Bourdais household? What have you done today, my man? I just did my uh, my bike ride in the morning. Uh, managed to miss the rain, which was great. And uh, yeah, just kind of chilling out this afternoon. And, uh, yeah, not not much going on this afternoon. So is that like a lowrider bicycle or a tandem bike for you and Claire? Or uh, what kind of what kind of bicycling are we talking here? Uh, just road bike, just, you know, and then uh, two hour ride, just nice, uh, nice with a, a friend and, uh, yeah, trying to, uh, trying to put in the work. Good man. Well, our show here, which is driven by listener questions is powered by the justice brothers, Sebastian. They're really good old friends of mine. They make fine automotive chemicals and lubricants, Cooper tires as well. Road to Indy. All those fine vehicles use Cooper tires, plus their road tires, mighty fine. One of my nieces goes to college every day in Michigan with Cooper tires on her old and somewhat on its last legs BMW. So I think the Cooper tires on her car might actually be the nicest part of her car. Uh, Might outlast the car. Yes, torontomotorsports.com. They just do all the fun stuff. The t-shirts for a hamburger and french fry show, for example. And then finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA. Figure Seb, before we get into the listener Q&A, all the good stuff folks sent in for you, should maybe talk about this little thing that happened Tuesday morning. Uh, Indy 500, no fans. Had a feeling this was coming. Spent Monday chasing it. Called every person imaginable the series to try and talk about it. Nobody would talk whatsoever. Came out Tuesday morning, that bit of news that again, not a total shocker, especially for those in and around Indianapolis, but still something that hasn't landed as a super happy thing for fans, the fans that were planning to attend. What came to mind when you heard this, Seb, as a fast driver at the Indianapolis 500, Uh, and also someone who's had an interesting year doing a little bit of spectating as well of what IndyCar has been going through. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's my opinion and and my opinion only, but I I think it's, it's a very sad world we live in right now. And, uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know, everybody has his own opinion and I respect everybody's stance, but I think, you know, they had obviously already had to downsize the crowd and, and, try and, and and minimize the interactions and this and that and you know if if we can't have fans at ims which is a huge site at 25 percent capacity or whatever and you know wearing masks possibly and and things like that which are things we can do if we can't do that then i you know i don't know it's, it's getting a little 
overboard. I think it's been very, very politic. And it's sad. It's sad, I think, you know, for the sport, for the fans, for a lot of, of people. And, and it's it's going to bite us back. But uh, I know the series is doing everything they can to, you know, not not end up in a line of fire. And, and that's what they've been dealt. And, and that's what they're doing. But, uh, yeah, not very sad day, I have to say. Got police coming by as well. I think you're about to get arrested for saying those things. Uh, kidding aside, Seb, working on a story here. I doubt I'm going to get it published before the podcast goes up. It's on the subject of compressed schedules. This is something that IndyCar teams, NASCAR teams, IMSA teams, F1, <clears throat> seemingly every form of racing this year in this coronavirus-affected 2020 has been dealing with opposite of the norm. Hey, it's a one-day event, practice, qualify, and go, or nothing at all in NASCAR's sake, just go. We're going to have something that isn't that extreme at the Indy 500, but I'd love to get your thoughts about this. It's not uncommon for things to get moving on a Tuesday, have three days of, call it, normal-ish practice, go into high boost on Friday, fast Friday, teams start to get into their qualifying setups move into the weekend we have qualifying we have the fast nine the run for the pole saturday sunday in between if there's some significant downtime of on-track activity during some of those windows we have seen teams go out and try and work on some of their race day setup obviously once they're in the field then there's usually of late there's been a monday right come back and monday is really the fun one 30 something cars running in a crazy train for however many hours in a row even more race day work then we come back again on friday and have an hour hour plus for carb day you go into race day boy you've had ample track time you're everybody's very well studied and the cars are super you know by and large super refined what do you think here seb where we're cutting out tuesday there's no follow-up Monday. It's just Wednesday, Thursday on track, high boost Friday, qualifying, and then you do nothing again on Monday. There's That's been taken out. And there is an extended carb day, two and a half hours there on Friday. But what do you think about coming in and having this bit of a compressed thing with Indy 500? I don't know if we've had less track time before race day, at least in my memory. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not uh, historically uh, that educated to know if if they've had like crazy amounts of of wet days and things like that to uh, to compress the schedule that much. But uh, at least you know you know going in, and uh, I'd say in, in large, we although I'm not going to be part of it this year, but uh, you know you get used to uh, kind of most of the tracks you go to and and ovals, especially to have a very condensed show with very limited track time, and so for the most part, you just adjust your your run plan you, you you know you don't have time to try crazy things and concepts and whatnot so you just roll out your best shot and and refine it the best you can and and go racing uh you know here at indy obviously you're still gonna have way more time than you ever get on any other race weekend um to 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 get it right so um yeah i mean i think it's just going to shorten the, the engineers list of items that they want to try and get answers for um you know maybe maybe it actually will be easier you know you, you just know that you kind of roll something out and and you can't go too crazy you have to have something that makes sense and and that's shown promises before uh you 
tune it the best you can and then then you go racing so i think it's it's going to be fine but uh yeah i think the engineers are always kind of um loving and dreading the 500 two weeks because it's just so much that they want to try and get answers for and and so on and so forth but this time it's just not gonna have time enough to do that so you're just gonna have to compress it we also have the need in super speedway trim for teams to learn about the effects of the aero screen not just the aerodynamic impact right what kind of wake it makes at 230 miles an hour how that affects passing and overtaking and defending but also its weight the vehicle dynamics tire degradation and such so it's equal for everybody but it's still also something that uh, by and large every single team is going to have to try and figure out how does this new 58 pound thing bolted to the top of the tub how does this affect racing how does this affect vehicle dynamics uh once we get cars rolling and drivers can give that feedback and you know, data can be returned as well. So, yeah, it, it's going to be for sure a, uh, a busy, busy period. Uh, and also would say that, hey, we got plenty of time. We'll take it easy. And, hey, we're just an experiment a lot and see what we get. I don't know how adventurous uh, some folks will be knowing that, as you mentioned, there's still a lot of time, but uh, not as much as folks are accustomed to. So I think I think it's just going to be a very tough uh, 500 edition because obviously August is is not May. Uh, it's going to be potentially quite a bit harder. Although we've had we've had the second hottest uh, not so very long uh, ago, but uh, there's more chances than not that it will be very hot uh, with high track temps, and uh, we expect the, the the race to be a mean one and, and a tough one for the drivers uh, because it, it will be a, a tough car to drive in traffic for sure. Fun, fun, fun. Well, brother, why don't we get into questions? Uh, we're going to kick off here. You've already kind of sort of answered this, but I still don't want it to be a fact. Uh, Alexander Mitchell is one of many folks who asked Seb, you think you might be running in the Indy 500 this year? What are the odds? What are the chances? Uh, also asks if you could choose your very own racing number for the rest of your career, like F1 does now, regardless if somebody else is already using it, what number would that be? Uh, honestly, I don't have a favorite number, so I, I don't I, I don't really care. Um, I, I just really enjoyed running the one because it meant that you won the championship before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the only one I was kind of attached to, but... Uh, um yeah i don't know no real preference there uh yeah i mean as far as me running the 500 honestly right now it's basically close to zero uh, I'm i'm not really talking to anyone about it um you know just all the good cars are are pretty much taken and and uh, and all the other ones are needing some some uh, finances which uh, I'm, I'm not that guy so um so yeah for 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 now until further changes uh you know and and you just obviously never want to uh really um wish that on anyone i mean obviously i've created in 17 the opportunity for for someone but uh you know you you never want to step into somebody's car just because you got hurt so uh, so yeah for now it, it doesn't look uh doesn't look likely at all so are you trying to tell me you didn't sell that ford gt to hook up like the ultimate Penske Indy 500 ride? All right, well, that's breaking news here. Whatever, Bourdais, I tell you. Um, 
let's see. Ryan Terpstra, good friend of the show. He says, Sebastian, are there any sponsors or potential sponsors I can support to help ensure one of the available Indy 500 seats is offered to you? Who do we need to, uh, uh, who do we need to tell, you know, buy somebody's <laughs> product and you, a company will contribute a thousand times the purchase price to your Indy 500 seat. I, I don't even have a list. So uh, if uh, more than welcome to, uh, to any suggestions. Look at that. Uh, Jordan Darwin says, Seb, any idea if and what races you might do uh, in IndyCar this year? Obviously noting we're on schedule six number, or it's number six right now. Uh, and we're probably going to have a, a seventh. He also mentions really looking forward to seeing you in that AJ Foyt number 14 Chevy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not, not many answers to, uh, two questions. Uh, I guess, uh, uh, St. Pete is hopefully still in the works. Uh, we, we're, you know, talking regularly with Larry and, and, uh, and there's definitely a, a will to, to try and, and make things happen. But, uh, yeah, things are very fluid because, because everything's changing so fast. Every time you think, you know, something it's, it's negated, uh, uh, a week or a couple of days later. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll just prepare for, for St. Pete, uh, until, uh, until otherwise. And, um, and yeah, hope for the best. Have a very important question here being asked by our, my, all my podcasts. It's not just IndyCar week and IndyCar. Also week in sports cars, you name it. Lance Snyder is officially the minister of mirth, uh, with the show here. He says, Mr. French fry, you've been having a great run in IMSA barely missing the podium at road America, but still P two in the DPI championship all without Marshall. There has not having Marshall at the track been the greatest contributor to your success. And I'm going to plug my ears. You can go ahead and speak the truth. I, I wish it was true. I just, uh, obviously, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a trend that, uh, you know, will, will be broken or not. Um, but, uh, I just like my hamburger. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully he comes back to the track soon. Oh, you're making me blush. <laughs> I did book a hotel for the Rolex 24. That's probably going to be the first time. Maybe. I mean, I'm not letting too much of a secret out here. I haven't booked anything for the Monterey IMSA round. And I would say if anybody has booked something for IMSA at Monterey, I hope it's refundable because I don't think I'm going to be seeing you or anybody from IMSA at that event. But, yeah, it might actually be next year. You might go a whole calendar year without seeing my monkey ass. No wonder you've been so happy of late. Uh, I'm finally piecing this together. Uh, let's go to Steve Grinstead. He's so down on himself, people. You need to be doing something to cheer him up a little bit here. Look, I know I'm an idiot. I embrace it. Yeah, It's not down. I just am fully comfortable with who I am. Uh, let's go to Steve Grinstead. It says Sebastian, after watching the IMSA race at Road America in the crazy rain, what's the rainiest race you've ever driven in? Uh, that would have been Le Mans 2001. It was like 16 or 17 hours of almost nonstop rain. Uh, and, and Le Mans at night in the rain is, is a scary place, especially uh, when you're aquaplaning in third gear oh. and passing cars, seeing the lights in your mirrors once you've actually passed them, but you never saw them coming. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was the freakiest, scariest place uh, race for me. Wow. 
His second question is, do you have a restaurant where they serve, in your opinion, the best French fries? Mm, there are a lot of places where they make some good French fries, but I have to say, like, when they put the truffles on it, then that's probably where it's the best for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got high-end French fries, hard to dislike, says the <laughs> fat guy. Um, our pal Jameen Tuttle says, Sebastian, what is it like? watching indycar mostly from the outside this year says any races or moments or drivers that have caught your attention so far either good or bad this season it is it's an interesting point right it's strange for me to be a spectator uh obviously you've driven an indycar this year and testing and such but yeah what's it like brother for the first time in a long time having to observe yeah (laughs) <laughs> not fun not fun i mean you want to be in the game you don't want to be on the on the sidelines watching but um i mean i think uh you know you have the usual sp- suspect with uh with scott just uh being really really strong and, and joseph and simon showing some some really uh strong races uh and then you got a bunch of uh of younger guys uh with pato obviously that's that's been doing a, a great job and and oliver and and Palou and um yeah i mean there's just a bunch of guys that have, have kind of uh, shown some some really interesting things um but uh yeah i mean felix as well has been obviously uh you know he's won a race one of the few that's won a race and uh, and was really strong in texas um it's it just seems like obviously the fact that there's really not a whole lot of, of practice uh uh, it's it's one of those weekends every time you show up you unload you're either in or you're out and and uh, it's very difficult to turn a thing around um but um no i mean uh, always always a lot of surprises especially with those compressed weekends but uh, no, not not fun to be uh, just uh, watching it i can confirm let's see this one goes to graham wilson says seb I remember you mentioning in one of your hamburger and French fry videos with Marshall, something along the lines of you and Simon Pagano and James Hinchcliffe all wanting the same thing from a car in terms of handling. Graham asks, did drivers discuss with each other about what they need in terms of handling to be quick and try and get ideas for improvements? Or is it just something that you pick up their driving styles, observing behind them or from watching TV footage? Uh, I think some some guys don't really have a style. They're just very uh, flexible and can adjust to to cars, uh, which which is very convenient because uh, you don't always get the car where you want it. I'm I'm kind of a bit of an old generation guy where uh, I was I was told you know just keep working at it and try and, and make it the way you like it and uh, and then then go fast. Um, so uh, yeah, I I need I need pretty much a perfect car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and then i'm pretty good at using it uh but you know if you if you take the the likes of dixon for example he's he's rarely loose where uh and and as you know when you watch his inboard cameras he's always loose so uh it's it's always pretty uh interesting to uh to watch but um yeah everybody has has a different way to drive a car and some guys can can deal with uh discrepancies in the script Let's see, what do we go to? Oh, this is a good one from our pal Tom Schreier. Tom says, Seb, can you talk a bit about the challenges and techniques used while braking in an IndyCar? 
He says, I think this is an underappreciated area of skill. This is actually a topic I was discussing recently with uh, what our man Will Power about uh, the young kid Miles Rowe, who he helped uh, get into a USF 2000 test as part of the Race for Equality and Change program. And Miles really didn't have much, if any, you know, minimal experience driving an open wheel car with downforce and then having to talk with him about the techniques to do that uh, with aero basically coming on and coming off the car based on speed under braking. So maybe you could get into that a little bit, Seb, because, yeah, there are some forces you can't see in the universe, but they certainly are a part of effective braking in a downforce uh, open wheel car. Well, obviously, there, there are you know drastic differences between uh, downforce loads that that cars produce. Um, you know, it ranges from um, a few hundred pounds to a few thousand pounds. Like in in the case of IndyCar, where you're you know almost at five thousand pounds of downforce at 200 miles an hour. So, um, in in general, for me, the 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 biggest thing, uh, kind of regardless of the car, is to try and, and get and pick right master cylinders uh and and i just for what the car is capable of of producing and, and accepting as far as brake pressure um and and i always try to pick my my masters as you know i just kind of have my reference brake pressure where i kind of hit the brake pedal about not not as hard as i can obviously but that's kind of the pressure that i'll naturally generate when i when i hit the brakes at, at kind of my peak pressure and uh, and make it so it's it's basically just a tick under the limit of of what you want for the car uh, so you don't you know think too much about uh, how much pressure you need to apply and stuff like that uh, at, at the biggest um, breaking points uh, so you just don't constantly lock up and, and and make mistakes so that's that's kind of how i i do it and i've done it pretty much my my whole career um but um yeah i mean a lot of people just have you know capacities to just deal with with very different brake pedals very soft very spongy very a lot of displacement um it it just um, very much is a, a driver preference yeah and the bit about the master cylinders you can choose them the the orifice sizing that flows the uh, the hydraulic fluid the brake fluid through you can pick different sizes sizes uh, for those master cylinders, and based on the size of the orifice that's flowing that fluid, you either have uh, more pedal force required. You're having to use more strength to uh, achieve, you know, maximum braking to uh, less force. So you're not having to blow up your <laughs> your quads and blow up everything just to get the car stopped. But again, it's a preference thing. Some folks really love to stand on the brakes hard to get that effect some others say hey i'm not gonna you know blow up my muscles uh, in order to do that throughout the course of a race so there's that and said maybe you could also just talk about if we're thinking about say turn one at the indy grand prix uh that really long long straight going reverse course at indy and the by and large straight line braking that gets done uh when you're shedding off most of the speed i mean you're carrying a lot of downforce when you start the braking process and by the time you're coming off the brakes, rolling off the brakes, you've not only shed a lot of speed, but that downforce has come off as well. You can't uh, keep applying the same hard pedal pressure that you began the process with all the way to the very end. You have to modulate a little bit 
as downforce comes off. Can you talk about that? Because that's that's the thing that, you know, it's a bit of an art. Not everyone is as good as the other. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's funny you talk about that one race because there's a couple of places where the grip is high enough and, and the, the braking power that you can use is, is high enough that you I'd go down like a, a size or something just to make it a, so you can actually do the whole race without cramping because um, it's it's quite a bit different from, from street courses, uh, obviously, sometimes, uh, for example. And, and so the thing is, like on the braking, uh, like, like Indy, uh, for the first half of the braking, it's almost about as much pressure as you can apply to the brakes because, you know, the cars have that much grip and that much downforce. And, and the braking is short enough in IndyCar in general that you modulate for a very short amount of time. And um, and I, I tend to brake fairly straight and, and not trail brake a whole lot because you just kind of let the car roll in and, and, uh, and, and do the corner for me. Um, so... Uh, it's it's really the last kind of 30 yards or something like that where where you really get very kind of grip centric and grip conscious about how much pedal you can keep in it but for the for the better part of the braking you're really just about as you know hard on the brakes as you can and um so it's a it's a very uh very particular exercise when when you apply a monster amount of pressure and and then towards the very end just just kind of how the car just filters the, the the feedback through your body and your your, your butt really um and and you can really start to feel how the tires is is responding and and how much you can keep the pressure or having to release it look at that we learned a whole lot about breaking there tom schreier um we're gonna go to our man joshua barrett says said the only time i've got to see u.s open wheel racing was at the champ car event at brands hatch in 2003 says he was eight years old which was expertly won by sebastian says any memories from either of you of that weekend he also asks if i attended i did not uh i was trying to go to university and uh by this time i think i would have been dating a certain mrs pruitt for about a year so no i was doing better things seb was uh Seb was the one, you know, off playing race car. I was trying to be a normal guy. Didn't work. Yeah, I mean, do I remember Brent's hat? Yeah, I sure do. I mean, we had a, a very fast but horrendous results-wise uh, start of the season in, in 03, which was my first year in, in champ cars and, and in the U.S. And uh, it, uh, it took uh, us to go back to Europe and race over there so I could finally get my, uh, my first win. So... Uh, um, yeah, it was a, a pretty special moment, a, a great weekend, and um, and a very big battle with uh, with Paul Tracy and 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 Bruno. Uh, so yeah, I, I do remember that one very well. Uh, it turned into a, a an absolute fight in in qualifying because everybody knew that you know passing was going to be uh, almost impossible, especially on the on the short track. And um, and then in the race, it it went full on uh, fuel saving, and. Um, yeah, and we just uh, we basically uh, uh, followed Tracy along uh, during the the first stint and saved more fuel and and got him in the exchange and uh, and kind of had him covered um, and then he had a, a gearbox failure and then uh, basically from there Bruno was was the, the only challenge and uh, he got caught up in a bit of traffic and uh, and we got we got our win um, not stressless but kind of a 
for the first time uh, a race that went to plan and with no uh, no bad luck involved and uh, that was that was just a, a great day thing i love seb since that victory at brands hatch in 2003 you've probably done what 150 races 200 races i don't know how many races always amazes me how you know the good days even if there was 17 years ago most folks most drivers can remember every single aspect uh the days that weren't nearly as as fun um or didn't have some sort of standout thing they just tend to fade away for for many i know some like you have really sharp memories i couldn't tell you like my last year working in the irl 2001 i remember a couple things i mean about the whole year actual the on track because part. it was less than memorable uh, it was it was a pretty tough year but um <laughs> yeah but uh, i couldn't t- i know that we went to kansas i believe i th- believe we also went to the kentucky i couldn't tell you i like i barely remember them couldn't tell you where the airport was couldn't tell you where we stayed struggling to remember where the garages were much less how we performed I don't know. Maybe it's just an indicator that I sucked and we sucked a lot of times, or maybe my brain is just farting more than usual. Um, where do we go next? Let's go back some more. Darren Dubois. So Sebastian in Houston, maybe 2013 or 14. I don't think we went back for 14. Uh, in 2013, was there contact with Elio and you had some front wing damage? Uh, they said in TV you were able to adjust the car with your in-car controls and did not have to stop to change the front wing. So can you describe what happened and what you're able to do to compensate and continue without pitting and losing a bunch of positions? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> bottom line, the front wing wasn't actually all that damaged, but there was a big uh, hole in, in the nose cone so that, you know, that, that cover was, was gone. And so I, I had plenty of air, which was, you know, convenient because it was hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's Houston, uh, but uh, it was also not great for aero. But uh, you know, thankfully it was not uh, too uh, too quick a racetrack. But yeah, for sure we lost uh, we lost some front grip and uh, and just made the car a little slower. And then from there, basically, uh, um, you know, we're not such a, a contender anymore. But uh, yeah, we had a bit of a, a scrap with. Uh, with Simon and and uh, and Ilio, and he was really mad at me for for getting in the mix. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, you know, racers. <laughs> Not because he was uh, fighting with Simon that I wasn't gonna get in there. Speaking of getting in the way or getting into a fight or getting whatever, our pal John Ranjo asked Seb, "You are a participant in what we believe to be the most recent IndyCar, and I'm using air quote fight with Takuma Sato at Toronto." He says, was there any background to that? Was there anything, you know, between the two of you beforehand? What was your side of the story? And I know we've discussed this before, but John's also a somewhat new listener. So why don't we regale him in tales of, uh, yeah, it was pretty, I don't know. It was cute, cute to watch. I didn't think there were going to be any real, like, teeth missing when you guys were done. But uh, what, what was that about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Takuma was just really upset that I passed him in the, uh, in the outlap. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure that his response was adequate to the situation, but uh, yeah, he had not done me really any favors, and I certainly wasn't going to do him any favors in, in giving him uh, the gap that he, he wanted in that lap, and uh, and it really ticked him up. So I guess uh, I guess I, I kind of got him back on that one. 
Uh, good times. Good times. So I'm a bit of an anarchist, so I love stuff like this. Uh, let's see. We're just going to stay with Silly for a moment. Greg Moffat asked Seb, what is your favorite condiment for a French fry? Is it ketchup or mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. What is wrong with you? That is the wrong. That's, yeah, yeah. I'm French, and and if you go in Belgium, where fries are even more popular, than yes, France, uh, they're they're gonna have it with mayonnaise. Sorry, but Belgium is is the home country of Doctor Evil. I mean, we know this from the Austin Powers movies, so we therefore can't trust anything yeah, they, they do. Great fries and great chocolate, so they got to be good at something. Yeah. I'm surprised chocolate isn't one on fries there, but who knows? Maybe that is as well. Um, <clears throat> JJ Gertler, someone else who sends in some fun questions, says, Mr. Bourdais, he says, uh, asking as someone who also shares in your joy of wearing glasses under a full-face helmet, he says, when do you expect to try a prescription ground arrow screen? That sounds great, doesn't it? No glasses required. That would be incredibly expensive, I assume. Uh, but uh, yeah, I uh, I don't think that's going to be part of the program. Because if I tell Larry that I want a prescription uh, error screen, then he's probably going to look at me and be like, uh, "Yeah, we're done here." That's the, that would be the most kind of prima donna request I'd heard of in a really long time in any car. Yeah, I'll drive for you, but I want a prescription error screen first. Or you got nothing. Oh Lord, that's uh, that is all kinds of awesome. Um, I'm going to talk to Larry about that. See if we can get that done. Um, yeah, I'd hate to think if there was damage done to it. Uh, that that would really mess you up there. Driving blind with Sebastian Bourdais. Um, Peter E asks a question that I'll just pose for entertainment's sake, uh, knowing that we are planning to capture a podcast about this at some point. He asks if you have any entertaining memories. Of the Lotus IndyCar catastrophe. Um, I can answer for him, Peter. Oh, he has many. Oh, he has many. So that's why I want to get him and probably Oriole Servia. And I don't know uh, if we need anyone else. But yeah, at some point in time, we're going to capture, uh, boy, a really interesting 2012 season. With uh, Interesting? With... I, don't, I don't think interesting qualifies no, for that, no. that experience. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, and I still feel so bad for the good people at, uh, the, the Judd family who tried to make the most out of absolutely nothing. nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fine people, but just given three pennies in a paper clip to try and make an IndyCar engine program. Uh, let's see. All right. Let's go to Peter Nutt, a friend of ours from Holland, asking about one of his countrymen, Bobby Doorknobs, also known as Robert Dornboss. One of my favorite seasons of Champ Car was the one with your feud with Bobby doorknobs. He asks, was the hate real? And have you guys ever spoken about it afterwards? He says he landed in uh, quote, your seat at Newman Haas uh, after you left. What did you think about that at the time? Yeah, I mean, I, I can surely talk about it. I mean, uh, there really wasn't many instances. I think, did he take me out in Toronto? Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, in, in the Montremblant incident, uh, where he drove me off the racetrack twice at 200 miles an hour, um, there really wasn't anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for him to, and, and he deserved his win at Montremblant. I, I, I never argued that. But for him to come and shake, try and shake my hand on the podium uh, after driving me off dirty like that in the grass and being 
a reliability out there and pretending like nothing happened as you know me i was not gonna fly <laughs> so uh so yeah he, uh, he he could put his hand back in his pocket and, and make it you know funny faces and and all but uh yeah i'm i'm uh, um i'm i'm a straight shooter and and i don't play dirty like that so uh, so he, he knew exactly what he had done and he knew exactly why i wasn't shaking his hand but you know he's a he's a pretty good actor so uh so Ooh. whatever He's, um, he could go eat merit after that, I think we could say here. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, no, I mean, we never really talked because I didn't have a relationship and I really didn't um, I didn't really respect him as, as a driver because if you do stuff like that for me, you, you yeah, you're not worth my time. Like, yeah, you, you can make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes. But when you do stuff like that and on top of it, you know, kind of mock your – Smoke your rival at you know shaking his hand is like dude really just slip that hand back where he came from you know that hand is involved of late you know what he's using those hands for right Make- i've heard of his new endeavors yes making sex toys so yes, yes you were smart to pull that hand back even then um yeah but uh, yeah no honestly when when they signed him because he was bringing a budget that human has and they desperately needed money at that time um i was i was just sad for my guys because we obviously didn't like him and uh and they did learn um why they didn't like him as as they worked with him it was not a happy place when he was over there and, and it didn't work out and it was a, it was a pretty sad year for, for the newman has boys in you know in what 2008 i think I nine I, I don't know yeah back then yes. um we got just a couple uh, let's go with Tim Glass. Says Seb. Says with more time on your hands, have you looked at a Xfinity series or NASCAR truck ride for maybe the Daytona road course or the Charlotte Roval races? He also asks, after winning in IROC, did you get any offers to try NASCAR? Uh, there was interest. There was not an offer, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just tough because like, like I've mentioned many times, I mean, I, at that time I was a hundred percent committed to, tr- you know, either stay uh, in champ cars and, and, you know, just having the, the best time or trying to see if there was something for me back in, in F1. Uh, and obviously any kind of hint that I would have pursued something in, in NASCAR would have, you know, kind of, completely negated all the efforts and, and, and shown that maybe I really wasn't that interested about F1. So at that time, I just, I just really couldn't um, kind of entertain the idea for a second, but then, you know, looking at the bigger picture, it was just not feasible for me. Uh, and, and no, I haven't um, ever since I really haven't um, just thought or pursued uh, any NASCAR stuff. I think, uh, you know, I got I got plenty of things going on and and trying to uh, trying to do it well. I mean, obviously, if there was you know a, a good ride uh, in Xfinity or or Cup for a road course, um, yeah, I I definitely consider it. But uh, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't kind of knocked at doors and, and trying to make things happen. Let's go with Ethan Patrick. Says Seb, any th- new thoughts on prospects? For full-time IndyCar rides in 2021, and can we announce your Penske deal right now, or should we hold that? <laughs> You're already trying to end up on a blacklist here. I'm already uh, on a blacklist. Should we tell them that New Garden's getting fired at the end of the year? Don't know. We'll keep, keep that quiet. 
uh i mean honestly i I'd, I'd just be very content to and happy to you know help larry rebuild you know what he's trying to to do at at uh, at AJ4 racing i think uh yeah obviously you're kind of reminiscing a little bit but uh I really believe that there are some good things being done right now at, at, uh, at in the team and uh, and good people and uh, and I think it's obviously going to take a little bit of time. But uh, yeah, I, I wish uh, I wish we could have you know been part of that and and, and contributed. Uh, but uh, um, that's still in the works and and we're still you know talking for next year and and hopefully uh, something comes through and just. Uh, there are so many uncertainty uh, right now that it's it's just uh, it's it's a tough thing to 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 be definite on things. But uh, right now, that's the avenue that's being explored, and uh, and you know if it if it doesn't come you know and go forward, then obviously uh, you know teams are going to start thinking about next year, n- not so distant future as well. So uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the goal is to be in, in IndyCar next year, but uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see how things go. I appreciate the fact, Seb, and I apologize for being serious here for a moment. I appreciate the fact that you have been so sincere in your interest in working with and helping the Foyt team to recapture its lost glory. It's been a while since they were a truly effective everywhere we go, whatever track we go to, you need to really, you know, be mindful of them being uh, a threat. They've obviously had some success with uh, Mike Conway, Takuma Sato. Uh, You know, they've had some successes in the past however many years, but it's been a while since we went to almost every race and had them in the back of our mind as a team to, you know, keep your eye on them. I do appreciate the fact, and you're, as he said, of the many reasons I love Sebastian Bourdais, he's a straight shooter, and trust me, he and I have had some knockdown, drag-out arguments and fights because I'm the same way, but he's honest when he says, look, I really do want to be there to not just be the guy driving the car, he could do that at many teams. There's something here, Seb. Maybe you could speak on it a little bit more. It seems like there's something here that stands out where all the experience you've amassed, like you applied when you were at Dragon Speed or when you were at Coin part-time when you came back from F1 or wherever else, some of the smaller teams that are making good moves and could be bigger and better and more those seem to be really good fits for you, man. Even though you've driven for big teams, you've had pretty deep impacts in the smaller ones too. So I see that here. Is there something inside you that likes that challenge and bringing more than just your driving skills? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, if if, uh, if there was a really good opportunity at uh, a top team, I, I I take it. It's just like, you know, timing and, and opportunities just never really lined up with uh with contract years and, and, and everything. And that's just part of the career. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do value obviously, uh, what Larry and AJ have and what they're trying to accomplish. And, and I really, um, enjoyed the, the few tests we, we did and, and the general atmosphere in the team. I think, um, Scott Horner obviously was, was very, uh, instrumental into trying to, to build something as well. And, um, and, 
I, I want to drive where I feel like people want me to be. And that's, that's just, you know, the, the, the real necessity for me to, to be engaged and to feel like I, I'm going to belong and I'm going to perform somewhere. Uh, if, if, if you end up in a team where people are doubting you or they don't really want you there, I, I'm, I'm not interested. And I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've done many things and, and I know I can get it done. It's just, you know, you need to be a team. You can be a, a couple of groups of people trying to piece it all together. Um, so I definitely got that feel and that vibe and, and I really enjoyed it. And I, and I feel like, you know, I, I want to see what we can do. Well, amen to that. All right. Last one or two here. Howard Bennett says, Seb, what would be your ultimate French 1980s hot hatchback choice? Would it be a Renault R5 Turbo, a Peugeot 205 GTI, or a Citroën AX GTI? Um, I love all three of those. I've always fantasized about the R5 Turbo. What about you, Seb? Any of those uh, beautiful little turbocharged things uh, stand out to you? Uh, I mean, that would be a, an R5 Turbo or uh, or it would be a, a T16. Uh, that that would uh, yeah i mean those those were mean machines uh so that that would be one or the other i i i haven't tried any of of the two uh i actually tortured my mom's 205 uh, gti pretty good but uh <laughs> <laughs> but i uh, never never got to the to the big beast with the, the turbos in them so uh yeah i'd be i'd be pretty curious shouldn't that be a, just a, a gift to yourself for being a good guy and having a good career tooling around central Florida. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You never know. I think it'd be easier to put somewhere in a garage in Le Mans, but, uh, yeah, All right. I mean. you might be onto something here. All right. We saved the last, well, let's see. We'll go two more questions. Dave Newell sent this in late question besides yourself, Sebastian, who would you want most to win the Indy 500 and why? I love this question, Dave. Because I don't know if Sebastian has ever thought of it, nor do I know if any competitive race car driver would actually contemplate that on their own. If I couldn't win, who would I? Who who else? And the answer is always going to come back to screw everyone else, me or no one. Um, <laughs> no, I mean obviously, uh, you know Simon got his. So I mean, if he gets another one, great, great for him. Uh, I'll be you know very happy for him. But. Uh, um, yeah, I, I wish I could have done. I mean, I obviously, uh, I, I, I really feel like I kind of missed my, uh, my opportunity in 17. You never know what's, you know, coming. Um, but 17 was, was that special year where it felt like it was ours to lose and, and I threw it away. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's always a kind of a soul memory there. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the one I really wanted to see win the 500 was Michael because it just like, man, it was one of those where he got so close so many times and he just like, I, I really would have liked to see him uh, win that race. But uh, yeah, I never really thought of of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, James obviously has some unfinished business. Uh, imagine what kind of party it would be if Connor won it. I don't know. Maybe oh my God. A, They'd burn the place down. Not even, yeah, not even, oh, you know, not even thinking about like anything else and just uh, what would come next would be, would be kind of entertaining. He'd retire. 
I mean, and then he'd burn, he'd blow all the prize money and then he'd be back searching for a ride again in 2021. That is exactly what would happen if Connor won the 8,500. Yes. Oh, that'd be the best. Uh, he, he'd be, yeah, he, he'd be selling, like you can take a selfie with his baby Borg. He'd be doing all kinds of things, trying to drum up money, but ultimately he'd have to go back to driving. Uh, why don't we close the show, Seb, with Jim McQueen? Uh, maybe we're changing nick you know official nicknames here uh, he says sebastian sea bass or french fry i uh, was the hamburger it's got to be french fry man see have you ever liked sea bass i always just thought that was a lazy nickname that i don't know who gave it to you the first time you heard it but uh you know where well, was kermit and then the guys kind of it, it evolved to see as uh, i think in in the second part of of 2003 human has okay. uh, everybody had nicknames i mean hardly anybody knew each other's name over there <laughs> to the, <laughs> it was to that extent it was everybody had the nickname uh but uh yeah that it i don't i don't dislike it at all and, and more than anything it just brings some some really fun memories well then that's not a bad thing <clears throat> I think we have to end the show, Seb, because A, you might have heard our cat Rocky take. has been complaining and meowing incessantly, and he just jumped up and ran his backside uh, beneath the microphone. So I think That's it's, a wrap. Well, it's either end the show and feed the cats or they just start nibbling on me, and uh, that's not a, a high-protein diet, unfortunately. So... Um, I don't know what you're going to do for the rest of the day, but this was fun. Maybe this was the highlight of your day. I get, I worry about you. Like you need racing. You know, I know you're doing other things. You got business stuff you're trying to do and all that, but you know, we need to, we need to occupy you with stuff. Hey, have you gotten rid by the way of all your, uh, your iRacing stuff? Did you sell all that? Did you get rid of all that? Or is that something to occupy your time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely gone. <laughs> definitely gone i got uh, i got what arnie uh, sent me the the Trustmaster stuff which is good because alex can play with that and that's that's good enough but uh, i haven't actually touched it uh, in in a while so yeah. not not really uh, not really my thing as you could see yeah my wife and i have really started we've fallen in love with uh, this show on pbs escape to the chateau of uh an English couple that bought a derelict chateau, uh, actually in the Loire Valley. I'm not sure what, what town, but it's this little restoration show. And, uh, we've been watching the hell out of it, Seb. That's what we've been doing, uh, to keep ourselves occupied. So that's okay. I got, I got two kids. They keep me plenty busy. See, we got different things going on. All right, my man. Well, we've talked about cats and them doing crazy things uh we've learned some things and i don't know if we've entertained folks but you know what this is a kind of sort of combo weekend indie car hamburger and french fry show we talked about things we didn't talk about your uh your run to fourth last weekend uh we should no do, we didn't we should do that and <laughs> if i was better at my job i'd remembered that sooner into the show so you had three straight third place finishes um do you want to tell us how how you failed last weekend, finishing fourth? By the way, I mean, uh, are yeah, you retiring? I mean, was, uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, but um, yeah, not not a good race. Uh, actually, the weekend was not looking too bad. I mean, the the, the BOP for the caddy that weekend was 
really not uh, favorable. Um, but it felt like we, you know, we, we might have been able to take the fight to the 31 and the 10. And then uh, um, yeah, as a team, we kind of got worried that uh, we'd burn off the rear tires in, in uh, during the race and made a couple of changes. And, and we had ended up with an, uh, a mobile, uh, a, bomon, uh, a crazy amount of understeer. There we go. And uh, yeah. It was uh, it was not fun, and honestly, I, I don't think I've ever been that slow in the carousel. And and trying not to kill the left front tire in that only stint I did in the dry, oh. and not only did I still kill the left front, but I was the one of the slowest uh, of the whole field doing so. And uh, yeah, it was there was nothing to fight for. We're already like in 30 or 40 seconds uh, adrift. And um, and it just kind of dug the hole a little deeper in the dry, and then uh, and then after that, uh, like all hell broke loose, and uh, it was just an absolute downpour. Uh, we were gonna finish six, I think, and uh, and yeah, um, the 77 did not change tires, which I don't even know how you stay on the track as much water as there was there on slicks. The Mazda. But, yeah, but we were doing probably 30 miles an hour behind the pace car, and I couldn't figure out why we were going so slow. And then when they told me that the 77 was probably struggling to keep up with the safety car because they were on slick, that made more sense. Huh. And and then uh, at the restart, uh, people, Durrani just uh, went, absolutely bonkers and uh and said screw this i'm going for it and i was like yeah i can't see i don't want to risk the car and i was a little cautious and uh, so he went by and uh and then the 55 drove itself off the track breaking for turn six so that gave us before the three laps and another downpour came and uh and both instances, it was first gear, 70 miles an hour, aquaplaning everywhere, and I did not really enjoy that. But uh, it it was uh, yeah, it was definitely an interesting uh, interesting race uh, as far as uh, changing conditions. That good old number five Mustang sampling Cadillac was uh, yeah. I haven't gone back and looked at your starting position versus finishing position across all the races this year, Seb but I'm fairly confident in saying that in DPI you guys have covered the most ground in terms of making up positions. It sure feels like it. And Oh, if there's a, a, a charger of the event, we, we always seem to be that guy. So year of the year. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, road America was identical. And it, again, it's funny too. Uh, I gave you, you know, some mock grief about not finishing on the podium, but you guys started at the back were having just not having a great weekend at all coming into the race starting at the back things didn't exactly go your way during the race i'm watching lap times and whether it's you or joao uh barbosa your teammate you know uh, the fight just wasn't in the car uh in the race and so i'm thinking wow okay this might actually be just a bad day you know this might be just a weekend as a whole where hey p8 you know or whatever p7 that would be a luxury and then freaking board a <laughs> here we go again and i realized that some of it was you know pippo kind of playing himself and going off and the uh, strategy decision i still don't understand from mazda to uh, stay on drives but nonetheless i'm sitting here looking at the we're getting into the last 
you know, a couple minutes of the race and I'm like, ding, 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 here we go. And we're fifth and we're fourth. Hey, and, uh, while it wasn't a podium, man, that's still a huge amount of positions gained, whether it was other people giving those to you or not, there's still something impressive that uh, seems to happen on race day. But yeah, it'd be pretty cool if you started, you know, second and finished first, uh, less distance to travel. That's the hope. For the next is that race. is that your advice? Yeah, we'll, we'll try and apply that one. I don't know why you guys didn't think of it earlier. Kind of silly, but yes, uh, on your game plan, right? Qualify towards top. Race is easier. Stay there. See, I'm so smart. Um, thank you, brother. Thank you for making some time. Uh, thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and also Bell Racing Helmets USA. Thanks to AJ Foyt Racing and JDC Miller Motorsports and Mustang Sampling for letting us have you. I'm Marshall Pruitt. Uh, that's your French fry, Sebastian Bourdais. Hopefully we're going to talk to you really soon. Hopefully I'll see you in Rio soon too. <laughs> <laughs>